All right. Yeah, give God praise. You're, well, you're welcome to do so. Everybody's looking good this fine resurrection Sunday morning. You know, every day is the day we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you know? I mean, uh, yes, it is good to come together and honor the day, but every day uh, we are so... Look, where would we be apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, amen? So we would be lost, and uh, you know what? If you're here today and you are lost, then today may be the day that Jesus Christ rises to life in you, and that's our prayer for you. If you need a Bible today, we want to get one put in your hands so that we can get directly into our Bible study. Anybody need one, just raise your hand. They'll find you right behind you uh, there, Ed. Yep, uh, yep good. The prints, and, and you can, I know that the screen's a little uh, like what it is, but if you want to bring the house lights up, is Elizabeth up there just a little bit so everyone can read their, their Bibles? Uh, that would be great. Whoa. <laughs> up, down. It's opposite world, you know? It's like, uh, well, there we go. There we go. Good, good, good. And we'll adjust them from there. Guys, let's take our Bibles and uh, open them uh, to the, the actually a, a surprise book. Maybe you're thinking Matthew, maybe you're thinking Mark, maybe you're thinking Luke, maybe you're thinking John. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Romans, uh, chapter one. We're gonna look at the first four verses today in a message that I've entitled The Revelation of the Resurrection. And so with that, let's go ahead and take our hearts to the Lord in prayer. Uh, God, today we just pray that you would continue to move and minister to every heart that's here, that you would touch and move in a tangible, uh, Lord, just notable way, whereby when we leave here, God, we know uh, that you have visited us in this time. Uh, Lord, that you would change us, uh, that you would make us more like Jesus, whom we celebrate even today. In his name we pray, and everybody say, amen. amen. The, revel the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There are many ways to look at it, to think through or perhaps approach it as it pertains to a day or a service like this. You know, a day in which we set aside time to intentionally and specifically consider its truth, its impact, its effect on our lives personally as well as its ramifications upon all of mankind throughout the sum total of human history. But today I just want to draw your attention to this small section of scripture that though perhaps commonly considered, maybe not as readily reviewed with regard to a Easter or, a, you know, quote unquote, resurrection Sunday service. And I hope that's okay with you, but it's just a verse that's been kind of swimming around in the back of my mind as I have, oh, over the last number of weeks, been kind of uh, turning my thoughts and prayers toward this day. Uh, because though as believers, we can often take the resurrection for granted, you know, meaning that we don't really take the time often to think about it or even focus the attention of our hearts and minds on it, it seems to me that we would do well to give some consideration to it. Guys, we live in an age of great ignorance as it pertains to the gospel. The vast majority of people don't know the gospel, and of those who would say that they do know the gospel, many of them don't. 
And so it just kind of got me thinking, you know, what does the resurrection signify and why is what it signifies important? And even in that, there are many different angles which by we could approach the significance of the resurrection because surely it testifies to and touches on so many things. However, we're going to stay our attention upon the topic of this text to which we have turned. So let's take our attention, beginning in verse 1 of Romans chapter 1. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Well, as we turn our attention back to the very first verse for the sake of our time and our topic, let's just say that Paul wants us to know straight out of the gate that he is a man on a mission, uh, that uh, God has called him as an apostle to broadcast to proclaim, uh, to make known a message. As a matter of fact, he says that he has been, well, our word is separated to it. Uh, That is, his life has been set apart for a single purpose, uh, a sole passion. He says, man, this is what I focus on. It's what I live to do. It's my life's mission to make it known, the gospel. That is, the good news. Ladies and gentlemen, as you well know, that's what the gospel is, right? In truth, that's what it means. It means good news. Now, hear me now. It's not good news. Views. You know, what's your view on, uh, you know, as though it's uh, one's perspective on maybe one of many good things, you know, a good perspective on life, you know, good advice on uh, how to raise your children or, or on financial planning or maybe marriage counseling. You know, today it seems that there's no end to preachers or authors or public speakers who uh, try to make Christianity relevant culturally by preaching a bunch of you know good advice I mean, you could take the name of Jesus out of their book or out of their message it wouldn't affect a thing but listen as a believer you have something so much better than good advice you have a message that will bring life that ushers in forgiveness reconciliation peace with God Righteousness in the sight of God. Freedom from the bondage of sin and death. Paul wasn't separated unto the good views of Christian living, no. He was set apart to the good news, notice, of God. Guys, it's an important point to take note of. Whose good news it is. It's not Paul's. You know, Paul didn't think this up. Uh, It wasn't something that the 12 disciples of Jesus sat around and manufactured. No, it's the gospel or good news note of God. Ladies and gentlemen, this is God's good news, meaning that this message and all that it entails is something that originated in, was designed by, and found in the heart and mind of God. And it's imperative to him to get 
his message, this message out to you. The question is, what is the message? What is the good news? Guys, this is where things can begin to become cloudy or confusing for people. I mean, this is where they can begin to murk and muddy the waters by adding to it. You know, thinking that there's a list of do's and don'ts that come along with it. Well, what is the gospel? Well, you know, you've got to always talk to people about the fact that, you know, they're a sinner. Or, well, you know, you've got to tell them about repentance and what it means to turn away from their sins and all. Other people have other things. Well, the moment that they uh, say yes to Jesus, you've got to baptize them right then and there on the spot. And some people won't even give the gospel to people if they're not by water because for fear they can't be baptized right then and there. Now, are things like uh, knowing that you're a sinner or repentance or even baptism, are they important? Yeah, absolutely. Are those topics inseparable elements of the gospel? Absolutely not. Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthians, he said this, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. Number one, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Number two, that he was buried. And thirdly, that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. In Acts chapter 16, there he is, Paul the Apostle and Silas. You're familiar with the story. If not, I encourage you to maybe look it up later in, in prison in Philippi. And the earthquake happens and the jail cell doors fly open. The jailer prepared to commit suicide thinking that all of the prisoners has escaped. And, and Paul says, no, 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 no. We're all still here. And trembling, he called for a light. He runs in. He falls down before Paul and Silas. And he says, sirs, what must I do? do to be saved and Paul said well first you have to confess that you're a sinner did he say that no he didn't say that he said well you know for now listen you got to repent he what, well, what is repentance did he go through the litany no he didn't he said believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved you and your household that is there is enough power in Christ to save not only you but any who will call upon him or believe in him if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ you will be saved if your family believes on the Lord Jesus Christ they will be saved guys he understood something and that is this that one constitutes the other okay in other words I, I can't turn to you without turning away from you Right, if I turn to one thing, I have to turn away from uh, another thing. So it, the repentance is implied. It is in, it, in the, the acknowledgement that there's something in me that needs help, you see. I may not know exactly what it's called. It's sin. It's something that's amiss, you see. Uh, these things come together. Uh, how do we say there's continuity, okay, in turning to Christ. To turn to Jesus is to turn away from Sin. Now again, I'm not saying that those conversations shouldn't be had, okay? That we don't need to take the time to help people understand. But guys, I don't doubt the ability of the Holy Spirit to minister to a man or a woman's heart in sharing with them and showing to them, you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, I, I could go one by one down the list of everyone here who has believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and they would tell me subsequently something that changed in their life. Right? Because that's the power of the Holy Spirit to minister to you, 
to lead you in the way that you should go. So what we're talking about here are the essential elements of the gospel of God, that Christ died for our sins, was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Guys, that's the gospel of God. That is God's good news. Now look at verse two. He says, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Again, Paul is affirming that the message that he is making known isn't some new fangled doctrine that was cleverly contrived in the heart or minds of men. It's the good news of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, or in other words, all throughout the Old Testament, that Christ died for our sins according to, we just read it, right? According to the scriptures, the promise of God. Guys, God gave his word to you, to me, to all of humanity, that he would resolve the sin dilemma and provide salvation for all who believe, amen? He made a promise. And this is huge, because God can't lie. Did you know that? You know, Paul, in writing to Titus, said, in hope of eternal life, which God, notice, who cannot lie, promised before time began. Think about that. In the Old Testament, we read it like this. God is not a man that he should lie. What does that mean? Does that mean that every man's a liar? It's exactly what it means. Matter of fact, isn't that what the Bible says? Let God be true and every man a liar. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? They're rhetorical questions. The answer is implied by the phrasing and framing of the question. People sometimes wonder, is there anything that God can't do? The answer is yes. There's a number of things that God can't do. We've mentioned before You've heard me say one thing that God can't do is learn. He already knows everything. It's impossible that he should learn, that he should be shocked, that he should be surprised by anything. Listen to me, you're never gonna do anything and have God respond like, I'm shocked. I had no idea that you would do or even could do such a thing. Now think about that. That makes the love of God for you and me all the more amazing, ladies and gentlemen. He knows you. He knows you. Everything, every thought, every motive of all that you do, and for all of that, he still loves you. And to prove it, Jesus died for you. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You know, later on in the book of Romans, we won't go there today, but Paul writes to them and says, God demonstrates his own love, this unique love, this love like nothing we've ever known. It's not in you or in me intrinsically. It's indigenous, you see, to him. It's not man's love. It's God's love, his own love. And he demonstrated that selfless, sacrificial love to you and me towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I digress, obviously, from the primary thing I was sharing with you initially, and that is all that to say, God can't learn. 
pertaining to our context, God can't lie. And God promised the gospel, the coming of a savior, one who would redeem us, provide forgiveness of sin and everlasting life for us. All the way back, perhaps you remember or can recall, there they are, Genesis chapter three, directly following the fall of man, God promised one who would be born of the seed of the woman. Now, the woman, by the way, doesn't carry the seed. You know, she carries the egg. So what's the idea here? Well, this is an allusion to what? It's a reference and implication regarding the virgin birth. The seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent, the deceiver, and bring salvation. And from that point forward, all throughout the Old Testament family, it's pointing to, it's prophesying of, It's setting the stage for the coming of Jesus Christ and what he would accomplish upon the cross. Maybe some familiar passages like Psalm 22, the congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. Psalm 22 in its entirety, it paints a picture of crucifixions, crucifixion centuries prior to crucifixion being devised as a method of execution. Think about that. Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin, you see, of us all. All throughout your Old Testament, Scripture pertaining to where things, passages like where the Messiah would be born, where he would be raised, what kind of life he would live, the manner in which he would reveal himself to the nation, both on the day and in the way. We call it Palm Sunday. Literally hundreds of prophecies, including the resurrection, every one of which was fulfilled by Jesus. You see, It's true that Jesus initiated a new covenant, yeah? A covenant of grace established in his blood as opposed to the Mosaic covenant established in the law. Isn't that what John said? For uh, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ. But Jesus, though he established a new covenant, he did not establish a new concept. Are you following me? Are you with me? A new covenant, yes. A new concept, no. The gospel of God is the fulfillment of all the hopes which he himself inspired throughout the Old Testament scriptures. Notice verse three. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh. So here, we're kind of coming around, ladies and gentlemen, to the heart of the gospel. What does it center upon? What does it revolve around? Hey, by now you already know. It's not a what, it's who. Listen, everything about the gospel 
orbits around the sun, right? The S-O-N. At the heart, the very center, the epicenter, one might say, of Christianity, you won't find a teaching, a philosophy, an ideology, or a moral system. You'll find a person, the person of Jesus Christ. In the volume of the book, right? You, you, you hold it, most of you are holding one in your hands, right? In the volume of the book or of your Bible, it is written of him. One day, in rebuke to the religious leaders, Jesus told them, he said, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me, but you are not willing, notice, to come to me that you may have life. People are like, well, I read my Bible every day. Great. Well, I go to church on the regular. Fantastic. Eternal life is not found in a teaching or in a principle, but in a person. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And you will be saved. The scriptures appropriately understood and applied point to him are fulfilled in him he's the one who died for our sins who was born Paul says of the seed of David according to the flesh now you can find the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel one focusing on the ancestry of Mary the other on his adoptive uh, dad Joseph, both of which lead back to David. Now, why is that important? Well, there's two reasons. One is that it points to the humanity of Jesus. Jesus was fully God, and we'll, we'll kind of consider that in a moment. But he was also fully man. Now, not some kind of hybrid God-man, like half God, half man, no. He was fully God, 100-100, okay? 100% God, 100% man. The son of man, born of a woman, being fully human, and the son of God being conceived of the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of God overshadowed Mary and life was created in her. And both of these, fully man, fully God, are imperative. Again, we'll, we'll see why uh, in just a minute. So number one, uh, the, the lineage of Jesus leading back to David testifies, uh, ratifies uh, his humanity. But then not only that, it, it needs to go back to David specifically because God made David a promise. It's found, if you're a note taker, you want to look it up later, it's in 2 Samuel chapter 7, and the short of it is that God promised David that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would come through his lineage directly and would be seated on the throne eternally. And therefore, it has to be verifiable that the lineage of the Christ would lead back to David, as I said, specifically. And be it through Joseph or Mary, Jesus can demonstrate that either way you want to go, okay? So we're seeing that Jesus has both human origin, right? Born of the seed of David according to the flesh and an eternal existence. Look at verse four. And declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness, notice, by the resurrection from the dead. 
So the evidence of the humanity of Jesus is in his human birth. The evidence or revelation of his deity is his resurrection from the dead. You see, how do I know? Guys, this is the question. This is the million-dollar question, right, that people have, and it's a legitimate question. How do I know that Jesus is everything that he said that he is? I mean, guys, how do I know that his claims are true? Because he made some outrageous claims, didn't he? He said things like, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So all, inclusive, uh, all inclusivity and yet at the same time exclusivity. And so in other words, it's open to all of humanity. It's inclusive to everybody, but exclusively, Jesus said, through me, alone. That he alone was the exclusive means, access into heaven to the Father. And he went as far as to say that anyone else who would make such a claim outside of himself would be a liar or a thief. He said that he was the door by which we enter into the sheepfold in John chapter 10, verses 7 through 9. And that if we enter through him, we would be saved. Guys, he made himself equal with God. That's a claim to deity. He called himself the Son of God. Later on in John chapter 10, at the Feast of Dedication, the religious leaders, they surround Jesus as they so ominously and uh, you know, continuously seem to do throughout the Gospels. And, and they said, look, if you're the Christ, just, just tell us, just tell us plainly. And Jesus said, I did tell you, but you don't believe me. And he said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Notice, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Look at this, I and my Father are one. Wait, what? Guys, imagine someone like me standing up here telling you that if you want to go to heaven, you've got to believe in me. If you want to be saved, you've got to go through me. That I and God are one and the same, you see, and, and that uh, exclusivity is through me. And, and, you know, you and God, you're one. They, they did the rational thing. They picked up stones. They were going to stone him for blasphemy. He called himself God, you see. He made himself deity. And Jesus said, uh, look, I've done a lot of good works around here. Which one are you going to stone me for? And they said, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy and because you, being a man, notice, make yourself, say it, God. Wait, Jesus made Himself, that is, claimed to be who? People say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Guys, you have to be 2,000 years, cultures and continents removed to make that statement because they knew exactly what Jesus was saying. He said that God, His Father, had committed the judgment of mankind into his hands. Think about these kinds of statements. He said that the Father committed the judgment of all humanity into his hands as the Son. 
When Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter responds, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, hey, hold up there, big fella. Little strong on the son of God thing. Good teacher, certainly. A man of influence, undoubtedly. Great philosophy, so philosophy, you could say that, I suppose. But this son of God thing? That's going just a little too far. Is that what he said? That's not what he said. He said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. In other words, you didn't just come up with this because you connected the dots. But my Father, who is in heaven. So he's saying, Jonah, uh, pardon me, uh, Peter, Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father did, who is in heaven, that I am the Son of God. And so Jesus made these kinds of claims. How do we know he wasn't lying? I mean, how do we know that he wasn't simply insane to say these kinds of things? I mean, just imagine, sometimes we read it in Scripture and we just kind of gloss over it, and I mean, it is what it is, it says what it says, and we go, okay, But I mean, think about the impact of a man today saying these kinds of things and how you would feel about that. How how do I know? How do I know that he wasn't just some insane individual? Two words, you know what they are. The resurrection. The resurrection is the revelation, the definitive, triumphant verification that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, Why is this important? Why does it really matter whether or not Jesus was the Son of God? Well, because if he was anything less than deity, if he's not perfect in totality, you see, every fiber of his being, then he cannot provide the perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world. Are you following me? You see, in Adam, the Bible is clear that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When Adam fell, he could not give his offspring something he no longer possessed. He couldn't pass on a sinless nature because he didn't have one. I'm not sure what's going on over there, but just stay with me, okay? You cannot give someone something that you don't have. Uh, And it's impossible for sinful man to atone for sin. An imperfect person can't provide a perfect sacrifice. We would agree with that, right? I mean, it takes perfection to provide a perfect sacrifice, to make perfect atonement. Now, on a side note, this is one more way, this is uncomfortable, perhaps, uh, conversation, but one more way that we come to realize that hell is not for a limited time, okay? As if you can serve your sentence and then, you know, you get out. Because you can never provide a perfect sacrifice. You see, theoretically, if it was possible somehow, maybe it would take millions and millions of years, and you finally could provide a a perfect sacrifice, then in theory, you could get out of hell, you could enter heaven, you could uh, enjoy the kingdom of God. But because man can never provide a perfect sacrifice, because sin is inherent within us, we can never atone for our sins. 
every sacrifice is inherently flawed because it's being presented from a flawed individual. Are you with me? My point being that the sacrifice for sin could never come from a son of Adam because every son of Adam has sinned. We're all imperfect. The son of God, however, okay, perfection, sinless, absolutely holy, and as such, qualified completely to be the sacrifice for the sins of all humanity. Equally true, however, is the fact that Messiah must be a man. Because how could anything other than man somehow stand in the gap or provide atonement for man? And the author of Hebrews picks up on this when he says that it's impossible that the blood of bulls and goats should uh, take away sins. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 4, with regard to the uh, sacrificial system. You see, animal sacrifice could provide a covering of sorts, but never a true cleansing of sin. And, And this is one reason why he talks about that sacrifices had to happen over and over again on the regular, because they were imperfect. They were inefficient to adequately atone for the sin of man. However, with Jesus being fully human, born through Mary, he is akin to man. He becomes our kinsman redeemer. He qualifies to atone for us being fully God. He is perfect and without sin and can provide the once for all perfect sacrifice. Why only once? Because if it's perfect, it's done. It's tetelestai, right? It is paid in full. It is finished. So things are lining up. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, sent into the world that the world through him might be saved. Scripture had foretold that God would send his Son uh, all throughout the Old Testament. It's prophesied, it's foreshadowed, it's foretold who the Messiah would be, the way he would live, what he would do. Again, I say, for the sake of redundancy, hundreds of prophecies perfect in his humanity, holy in his deity, his would truly be the perfect sacrifice if it were all true. Again, the question is, how can I know? How can I know that Jesus truly is the Son of God? Not simply some guru or religious fanatic making these outlandish claims, what sets him apart from other religious teachers and philosophers throughout history? How do I know that he was truly sinless, you see? What's the tangible, observational proof that I can trust him beyond any other? One day... uh, And our worship team, you can begin to make your way forward. One day the religious leaders were talking to Jesus and they said, teacher, show us a sign. And Jesus said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will be the Son of Man, or so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Here's the point. The verifiable 
certifiable, irrefutable proof of every claim that Jesus made and that the wages of sin was fully paid is found in the resurrection. Ladies and gentlemen, you serve the risen Son of God. You know, I've had the good fortune uh, to um, travel to Israel. I've been to Israel. And uh, I have stepped into the garden tomb. There it is. And they've made a beautiful place, you know, surrounding it. But you go in there, you can go in, and uh, it's quite small. Like, kind of surprisingly, almost shockingly, like this is, this is, this is just this is a little carve out, you see. And uh, you kind of do this 360 to look around. And you know what you see? Nothing. And it's the most beautiful nothing you'll ever see. He's not there. He's risen. Jesus, we praise you today that you alone have conquered sin and death. And it's in you alone that we find salvation, reconciliation to God through the blood of your cross. And we acknowledge you as being seated on high at the right hand of the Father. And we anxiously await your return. 